0: Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is founder and CEO of Travonna Tracks, Jennifer Freed. First of all, music copyright is a really mysterious thing. It was somewhat cut and dried, though, until the Marvin Gaye estate sued Robin Thicke over his song Blurred Lines, because it was ruled that then you can copyright a feel of a song. Now there's a lawsuit out there that's trying to copyright the rhythm of a song. The Jamaican duo Cleveland, Cleavey Brown, and Wycliffe Steely Johnson are suing a number of people over copyright ownership, basically 56 songs. And these are some of the biggest songs ever from Louis Fonzie, Yankee, Justin Bieber, and so many more. Many of these songs have amassed hundreds of millions and even billions of streams. What Cleavey Brown and Steely Johnson are saying is that they originated the reggaeton rhythm. And because they created it, they should be able to copyright it. Now, thousands of songs that have reggaeton rhythm would be in breach of copyright should they win. One of the key things in copyright law is that ideas are not protected, but unique expressions of those ideas are. So a lot of times when you have these copyright cases go to juries, you can get some really wacky results. Brown and Johnson say that what they did is a foundation, and it's iconic. If the courts side with them, then this lawsuit could completely change copyright. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Recording Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on the latest cutting-edge recording technology, multiple ways to mic over 70 instruments, a new chapter on recording immersive audio, new hitmaker-engineer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at go.bobbyosinski.com forward slash recording-engineer. That's go.bobbyosinski.com forward slash recording-engineer. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now it looks like drummers are getting a bad rap for being dumb and we can see by all of the drummer jokes that are out there. For instance, how do you tell if the stage is level? Well, the drummer is drooling from both sides of his mouth. How can you tell if a drummer's at the door? The knocking speeds up. What's the last thing a drummer says in a band? Hey, how about we try one of my songs? And this is the all-time classic, what do you call a drummer that breaks up with his girlfriend? Homeless. Yeah, we all had good laughs with this, but maybe this is skewed data. Drummers are actually smarter than anyone thought. The Karolinska Institute in Stockholm took a number of people aged 19 to 49 and had them tap a drumstick in a variety of different intervals. Then they gave an intelligence test. The steadier the beat, the more white brain matter they had, which meant the more intelligent they were. Now, just imagine drummers who can do complex polyrhythms. Drummers are smarter than anyone thought. But there's more. The University of Oxford did a study that found out that drummers typically have higher pain thresholds than people who are not drummers. This study was done in a unique way in that it found that it's not just listening to music but actually playing it that produces this higher threshold. The researchers gathered 12 drummers who play together on a regular basis and nine musicians who worked at a musical instrument store. The drummers were asked to play together for 30 minutes straight, and the employees were asked to work their shifts for the same amount of time with music playing in the background. When each employee was finished with their shift, they noted that they were in pain. However, the drummers noted that they were not in pain while exerting the same amount of effort and energy. These two studies just go to show you how underestimated drummers really are. My guest this week is Jennifer Freed, who founded Travana Post in New York after working as a production accountant on major motion pictures on both coasts and internationally. Travana Post has been the gold standard for post-production accounting for more than 26 years and has grown from a two-person office in New York City's historic Brill Building to a firm with offices in New York City, Los Angeles, and London, staffed by over 50 people has work with every major, mini-major, and independent studio on over 800 film and television shows. Trevon Tracks was born out of Jennifer's unique perspective on the need for a more efficient collaboration between those that are responsible for getting music licenses negotiated, paid, and delivered. Jennifer's access to veteran film and TV industry experts enabled her to create this new software platform for researching, budgeting, tracking, paying, and delivering music licenses. During the interview, we spoke about her getting into film accounting, how film and TV shows set their budget for music licensing, why music supervisors won't use a track that doesn't indicate the songwriting splits clearly, the many reasons why temp tracks don't get used, the need for standardized data when it comes to music licensing, and much more. I spoke with Jennifer via Zoom from her office in Los Angeles. I'd like to know your background and how you get into the music business, the entertainment business.
1: Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you for having me. My background is I grew up in Miami, so a little un- unusual place to come for, from entertainment, but my mom was a stage actress, so I kind of grew up as a backstage baby, and my dad was a film buff, so um it was a life full of theater and movies and and it was really fun. But then um I went to Stanford. I was a film major and I came down to Los Angeles after I graduated and I got my first job thanks to Roger Corman, who I never met, but he introduced me, passed my resume along to someone and I got a job in craft services. But um on that film, I Became friends with the accountant who kind of saw that I had some extra time available in between meals. And she had me start doing things. And it really appealed to me the business aspect of a creative industry. And I never knew what a production accountant was before I started, even when I graduated and set off on that path. So I was an accountant for principal photography for films. For about nine years doing films like prince of tides and last of the mohicans you know these big kind of epic things i got to go all over country around the world and then my husband and i decided to move to new york for his job he's a concert promoter so different part of the business but um, we moved to new york and shortly thereafter had two kids so trevana is my two children trevor and savannah and, um, I have all of a sudden two babies under the age of two. And luckily I hope that everyone has a great mentor in their life, but I had a great mentor and I phoned her up and said, and oh my goodness, what am I going to do here with two babies? And she said, how would you like to do post-production accounting? Again, not a field that a lot of people are familiar with. But the reason there is a reason why this is applicable to why we're here today, which is that post-production is where so many music licensing decisions are clearly made. From the ideation of you get a script, you read it, you see that a music supervisor gets a script. They have 20 scenes they need to find licensed music for. And throughout that process, they're gathering options for the creative team. They're not just gonna come back and say, here's 20 songs that you need. They're gonna make three to six to eight options for every scene, depending on tempo, the popularity of the artist, the popularity of the track, perhaps the price of the track, often the price of the track. Can it be cleared? Is it Are the splits too complicated that they can't find 100% ownership? Does it have too many samples that it's a risky thing? So once I got into post-production, I started realizing that the money that is spent in post is basically what's left after principal photography. Some of it is dictated by labor and schedule and hard fa- hard and fast things that need to be spent. But some of it is what we like to call appetite spend. M- music licensing falls into appetite spend perfectly. And so... You're going down a path and you have all of these things and you have to decide at the end of the day, which songs fit your picture to the best combination of creative and financial. And often that's not even decided till the final mix. Wow. You know, some songs can be locked in, some songs you can be waiting. Oh, can I afford this? And we come through and say, yes, they mixed a day less than we had budgeted. So here's $60,000 and then you can go get that track you will have had to have requested them, gotten the approval for them ahead of time. But those last minute confirmations sometimes happen at the very last minute. So that was my first job in post-production. was a film called Money Train, J-Lo's first movie and um, big soundtrack. And um, throughout that, now I started that as a freelance job, but then I created a company called Travana Post And now we have offices in New York, Los Angeles, and London, and we've done over 800 film and television projects. And through that, we saw the wild, wild west of the way that music supervision was managed, right? Which was that they didn't have tools. So they were using Excel, Dropbox. I even had one Academy Award winning film give me their grid in Word. It didn't even add up, right? So it was a real pain point for us because it's the last thing that's paid. Sometimes music licensing drags on months and months and months after the delivery of a film. And as accountants, we're still responsible for tracking it, um, giving everyone the status as to where the licenses are and whether they've been paid or not, because we have to deliver the film. So after decades of seeing grids of all shapes and sizes. Um, You're laughing, so I know you know what I'm talking about. You can have grids that are 12 columns that have all this information, maybe labeled differently. And then you get a grid that has four columns. It's missing the writers and publishers. It just gives you the track V. It has all the splits merged into one cell. I mean, it's just a data person's nightmare. And um, so I said, I think we can do better. So I set out to build something that was that great combination of collaborative workspace, data that everybody can find in your team, but also that the documents for everything is attached.
0: That's important.
1: So That is the origin story of how, um, after decades of being an accountant, I became a software developer.
0: Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. One of the things you mentioned before, are um, splits. That's one of those things that it's the same thing where things drag out, where people can't figure out what their splits are, or they decide at the end, well, wait a second, I should get 40% instead of 10%. And I would imagine that would make people like you crazy.
1: In all caps, crazy in all <laughs> caps. But unfortunately, for the artist, often what happens if it's not clear that the, what the splits are, the music supervisors, Will choose not to use that track because they don't want to be responsible. The film doesn't want to be responsible for that person who's claiming 10% down, you know, appears out of nowhere down the road and sues the project. You didn't have permission to use my song in your project. So a lot of advice that we give to artists is to make sure that their splits are crystal clear. And now there's so many great ways to do that because you can check your registration with the MLC. You can go online even into ASCAP BMI's website, make sure that you're registered there and the splits are registered correctly. Because yeah, that would just be heartbreaking if something was perfect for a scene, but they couldn't settle on who the splits were.
0: So Jennifer, you can build all this stuff, but will they come? It's nice to have something that's sort of standardized and a good way to do it rather than the way it's been going on for years and years, but you have to get people to adopt it. What have you been doing to enable that?
1: That's my biggest challenge, right? That's my biggest challenge. So my podcast that I love is called um, Category Pirates, and it talks about, I think, what we really kind of are, which is a category designer. So we have said we have created a new system, a new methodology that did not exist before. And the first thing I had to do was explain that this is not a creative tool. This is a productivity tool. There is nothing about my platform, our platform, that takes away from that knowledge of music, those relationships that music supervisors and directors have, the ability to sense what's gonna work best for a project, the negotiation that they do with the licensors, all of that still happens. We just help them be organized and standardized and help with data, right? So if you wanted to say, wow, I really need a Drake track, but I don't know how much that would be. Oh, I I know I I, I researched one three years ago, but you don't have that at your fingertips. So what you're doing with Travana is you're putting all of your research instead of in post-it notes and on your laptop and, you know, things where people can't access it. You're looking, you're able to have that information. Oh, okay. Well, three years ago, it was this. I don't know what this one will be, but it'll give me a good ballpark. Or if you're negotiating, let's say with a licensor, you can say, hey, Cobalt, I've spent Two hundred thousand dollars with you in the past X number of months. I need a break on this indie film that I'm doing. Can you help me? Whereas before, how would you know what you spent with everybody?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. this it doesn't even need accounting. This isn't an accounting system. This is a licensing platform. So effectively, whether you're a music supervisor or a studio, you are building a proprietary database of everything that you have done on a business level. So first of all, I had to make sure that people didn't feel threatened that it has anything to do with what they love about their job. This is a way for them to just maybe work on more projects because everything's organized and they don't get bogged down in paperwork and administrative things that are about 70% of a music supervisor's job, right? So if that can be, if you can, send out quote requests and confirmations through our beautiful um, FormGen platform, that shaves off hours and hours and hours of somebody's work. And so we have to try to help them see that. But it is true that I have to have people see things with an open mind and they have to be innovative and they have to be ready to let go of their old ways.
0: Tell me about temp tracks. And the reason why I bring it up is there's so many instances where I know where someone puts in a temp track and then everybody gets married to it and they have to have it.
1: So we refer to that also as temp love. <laughs> right? So that is so common, right? A music a director does a spotting session with their music supervisor, often with their music editor as well. Often music editors are responsible for putting in temp tracks. Before the supervisor comes through with the more official versions or, you know, can come from either and you need it because who wants to be sitting in a cutting room, listening to a cut with no music. So you've put in a track and you start to even feel that that cut is living and breathing with that song. And the the cut could even be affected by the song. You know, it could have a quicker pace. It could have a slower pace. And then the music supervisor could come through and say, hey, I know you're in love with this song, but let me tell you how much it's going to cost. Or that artist is not going to approve their track to be used in a slasher film or a war film or something like that. There's all sorts of reasons why tracks can be denied or not afforded, et cetera. And so it's a big risk. But it's, you know, it's it's part of the process and um, it's part of the creative process. And so although I, I have heard many, many times of temp love occurring and people willing to give up other things in the budget to get that track that they've fallen in love with. So it can have a happy ending. Uh, we hope for mostly happy endings, but it, it is a very, very common thing.
0: You know, you mentioned before that everybody has their own way of putting all this together. Then you receive all sorts of different spreadsheets and whatever. I'm curious, is that the domain of the production company or the accountant? So in other words, every accountant would have their own way of doing it, or is it the production company that has their own way of putting it together?
1: In practice, the truth is the music supervisors do it their way and everybody else has to kind of fall in line. So for example, I send you version four of the grid and you you as an accountant are gonna write your notes on it. You're gonna make your hideous highlights, green for paid, yellow for question, you know, whatever. And you based your cost report off of that. And then three weeks later you get version eight. So what happened to version five, six and seven and all of your notes on version four are no good anymore. So that was the main thing. We had to say, we need something in real time that I can know what the current estimated final cost is and all my notes stay together. And all of this, if that weren't complicated enough to do it in one movie or television project or video game, because we have video game clients, what if you're doing more than one? What if you're doing five a year? What if you're doing 20 a year? They're in all different stages. What if you wanted to look up something from season one when you're in season five?
0: Yeah.
1: So so what my breakthrough was, my first client was so new to the game that they knew that they had to have some system and some structure if they were going to do the volume of films that they wanted to do. And this way... They've been enormously successful in being able to really have all the knowledge about all their projects. Yeah. All in one place. In yeah. real time and they can research everything that they want. And, um, and so again, it goes to the people who are really forward thinking about not only, okay, what is this film that's right in front of me cost, but looking at the bigger picture and looking at the future.
0: Is Travana all online then or is this a software app that they download?
1: It is all cloud-based, of the highest security, with the most um, amazing, you know, permissions available uh, that, you know, so that you can be active in the platform, you can be view only if you don't want somebody editing or, you know, touching anything. And um, we have replaced several on prem older software platforms that people have used from the past. They've moved off of those systems and onto our cloud based.
0: So, I guess the biggest problem would be okay, now I have all this data and I have to, that may be sitting in one place and I have to move it online. So, I have to upload it all.
1: Yeah. So, we do that as well. And we had a talk about that this morning with one of our, new clients, Uh, we get it, we've gotten, we've uploaded things from Airtable, from Excel, from FileMaker, you name it. Um, People who wanted to get rid of what it was before and we can bring it in as legacy data into Trevon. Wow. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I like to say like, oh, you're working on Grey's Anatomy season 17. You want to know what you did in the first 16 seasons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it is an interesting place to be in as someone who's trying to advance technology to people because they've certainly been doing it well for all of these years. And um, very talented people in business affairs, and finance, and music, um, in physical production. But we're just trying to present them with the best tools available.
0: Well, if it's going to save you time, why not? I mean, that's the big thing. And you can't get that money back. Yeah. And money.
1: It's going to save you in your staffing costs. It's going to save you during negotiations. It's going to benefit you in so many ways that well exceed the subscription.
0: What's the one thing that people don't know about what you do?
1: I I think it goes back to people not being aware that it's going to make them more powerful. It's not going to take their power away that we aren't saying you've used band-aided tools of the old, you know, old-fashioned system and we're shaming you for that. We're saying we de- you deserve to be um, using the very best things available and we want to help you do that.
0: I'm really shocked that people would think that this was usurping their authority somehow. <laughs> but I guess it's so, yeah.
1: <laughs> i kind of speechless about that, you know, yeah. I think maybe, um, or they've just said, I've done it this way for 25 years, it's worked, I don't need to change, I don't want to learn something new, and yet our greatest feedback, aside from saving people time and aside from having them so grateful to have all the research available and search tools and reporting and all of these things available for them. Once yeah, they change,
0: definitely. it makes them feel better. It makes It's funny you should mention, though, that people are reluctant to change, especially if they've done it one way for a long time, because I, I see it on my side as well. I'm on the creative side, and it's the same thing with software. Well, I've used this, this workstation app forever, and even though something's better, faster, cheaper, I don't know that I want to change. It's so bad that people have 10-year-old computers with old operating systems that if something breaks, they're done, but they refuse to, it's like, it's working, so I'm not changing anything.
1: Right, uh, right. But-, but if you think about like all of filmmaking, the technological, the technological advances have been insane. Yesterday I spent two hours with my friend who has created virtual production stages huge LED screen, like thousands of LED screens that they did the Mandalorian on. And I mean, you wouldn't have dreamt this up. You would have dreamt it. You wouldn't have seen it in real life. So the efficiency that can be done in putting digital assets up there instead of lumber and, you know, paint is phenomenal. Um, The new jobs that are being created, the clean green aspect of, you know, um, virtual production is so revolutionary. And yet, you know, how long is that going to take for people to, um, adopt it? I, I think back on, um, I don't know if you remember back in the old days, scripts used to be broken down for scheduling in little strips, yeah. you know, yellow for day and blue for night, and you would move them around. And then it became digital and no one would ever dream of going back to strips and same for accounting product, movie, magic, budgeting. Every single project is made with movie, magic, budgeting. You wouldn't dream of doing that on Excel anymore. So what we're hoping to do is give that advancement to music supervision.
0: What's the the biggest problem that music supervisors have? Is that what you're addressing, their biggest problem? I mean, other than the creative, the creative is, you know, a whole separate thing.
1: It's a, it's a struggle for, for doing paperwork, for submitting to one studio wants it this way, one studio wants it this way, one studio wants it this way. You're going to give them a, a zip drive of all of your documents, and they have to weed through it like a needle in a haystack. The genius that they've done by... Licensing this amazing music for this project gets overshadowed by the um, administrative part of it. So now the more studios that we have signing on to Trivana, it helps the music supervisors say, okay, this is the way we do it. Easy, easy peasy. We never ask the music supervisors to pay for Trivana. They don't pay a, a penny. They're users and the studios are our clients." But that takes takes the burden off of them. This isn't software that they need to pay for or maintain or whatever. They just have to say, this is becoming the industry standard. I like to think it is the industry standard now, but this is a better way to do it.
0: Jennifer, what's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or someone imparted to you? Um, The
1: best piece of advice was really to give it a shot, you know, I mean, I actually think that's a Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, like you only get a hundred percent of the shots that you have taken, but I got advice from people to say, This is worth trying, and it might be scary and it might fail, and it might not get adopted. It might not find an audience, but if you don't try. You're never going to know, and I didn't want to have that regret. And I I felt confident enough in all of the years that I had seen of it not working as well as it can, that I was willing to try. So I think hearing that from a, a handful of people did give me the confidence to to try it. But I was quite far down my career and then to change over into software, which I knew nothing about. It was pretty scary. So um, I surra- I asked a lot of questions. People were so generous with their um, information and help and, and that really turned into encouragement. So I think the, the biggest thing was really, if you feel excited about something, you should really try because you don't want to have left it on the table. You can find out
0: more about Jennifer and Trevonatrax at trevonatrax.com. That's Trevonatrax, T-R-E-V-A-N-N-A, T-R-A-C-K-S, trevonatrax.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean.